Hey, good morning. Um, again, uh, we begin a new series today. That was partially what we just read, why we read that passage um, together, because that passage kicks us into our new series. We're going to be spending a summer uh, talking about prayer. We're going to be spending a summer praying. I'm actually not preaching at all. We're just going to pray the whole service together. Um, maybe we should. But before we dive into that series and kind of how we're going to do it um, and how it's going to be structured, I want to talk about why. I want to talk about the why of the how of the what. Um, I, want to, I, want to, I want to get kind of behind and underneath all this. So when I say a summer series on prayer, uh, I'm sure you've got thoughts. What comes to mind when I say that? Because we've all got kind of these working definitions of prayer what it is and what does it mean and uh, why don't I do it? And it seems like these spiritual people over there know how to do it, but I've never been able to get myself to do it. And so we have all these like inner tapes and inner dialogues. And if you're not even a Christian, if you're from outside the church, you think prayer is weird and praying to some God that you can't see and doesn't even hear them. And I would just tell you, if you come inside the church, you're going to have the same questions. Like this, this is a, this is a mysterious part of what we believe. And yet it's all over scripture. See, because we can tend to think that prayer is merely this act of a one-way request-making system where it's the practice of me asking God for something and telling God what I need. Now, that is a part of prayer, and the Bible would say for sure that part of praying and the practice and the spiritual art of prayer is making your requests known to God to tell him what you think you need. But we can tend to think about prayer in this one-dimensional way. We can tend to think about prayer as, as this thing where it's just, I come before God, I'm supposed to say some of the spiritual sounding things to maybe like butter them up, and I've got to like use some empty phrases, I've got to use some things, I don't even know what they mean, and then I can tell him what I really need from him. But we rarely dare to believe that prayer may be far more mystical, far more mysterious, far more conversational, far more four-dimensional than one-dimensional. The prayer may be far beyond our minimalist view of it. So, borrowing from Charles Spurgeon, who's one of my favorite dead guys, uh, he said in a sermon in the 1800s on prayer, that's where we get our sermon series from. You can throw the series slide up there. We're calling it Sacred Delight Conversations with the Almighty. So our hope is, is that we will go on this journey of prayer, diving into this mysterious thing called prayer, this mystical thing called prayer. We would dive in it together and we would, we would, we would be surprised at what we learn about ourselves and about the Lord and about prayer as a summer together. That it would be far more sacred, far more delightful, far more conversational. That's where that title, that's why that title hits. Then it would be mundane, that it would be um, dutiful and that it would be far, far less monologue and far more conversational. Perhaps the most well-known place in the Bible that teaches us about prayer is what we just read in Matthew chapter 5, it's, or Matthew chapter 6. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6 is where he gives what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, some scholars say... Um, this is not the Lord's prayer. This is the disciples' prayer because this is not how Jesus necessarily prayed. This is how he taught the disciples to pray. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. Um, you need to know we're not rebranding that, okay? Uh, we're just going to call it the Lord's prayer because it's what it's been called for millennia. Um, Lord's prayer is kind of the, the most basic but also the most profound and the most well-known place in Scripture that teaches the believer about prayer. And here's how we're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to walk through it line by line and see how Jesus taught us to pray. However, 
Each line of the Lord's Prayer, each line of it is chocked full of major biblical themes and biblical realities and biblical doctrines. And so, to more fully understand these biblical themes, these biblical realities, these biblical doctrines that appear in the Lord's Prayer, we're actually going to teach and preach those, those realities, those theological realities from the Lord's Prayer we're going to teach it from different sections of scripture. So for instance, when the, the prayer starts off and says, our father, well, Jesus teaching us to call God our father wasn't the first time that, or the, the only place in scripture where we, we learn about God being our father. So we're going to study what does it mean to have God as our father from a different section of scripture. Does that make sense? So we're going to read the Lord's prayer line by line every summer, but we're going to learn the realities of the Lord's prayer from different sections of scripture. Make sense? Didn't think so. So um, I hope that it'll be a rich time for you uh, as we walk through this. But before we even walk into the line-by-line reality of the Lord's Prayer, there's an important starting place for us. There's an important starting posture for us. There's an important starting position for us. And it actually comes from the Gospel of Luke. In Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer appears in Luke and it appears in Matthew Luke, who studied eyewitness accounts to write his gospel account, gives us a little bit more context of the conversation between Jesus and his disciples before Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer as we know it. And here's what Luke says. is Luke chapter 11, just the first two verses. We're just, we're just going to study one little phrase from this, and then we're going to jump to another section of Scripture. But here you go. Luke 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and he goes in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, teach us to pray. What a fascinating thing that for a group of men who spent the better part of three and a half years every day with Jesus, they saw him do miracles, they saw him heal people, they saw him do resurrections, they saw him walk on water. All the things in the three and a half years every day with Jesus that the only thing those disciples in the New Testament ask Jesus to teach them how to do is to teach them how to pray. They didn't say, hey, it'd be a great like office trick if you could teach me the walking on water thing. Like I would love to learn how to do that. Now certainly I'm sure they were curious about those things and wanted to know those things. They saw him raise dead people. They saw him heal people. They saw him give sight to the blind and all that I'm sure mesmerized them, but there was something about the way that he prayed that they thought, Jesus, we know you're not going to be with us forever here on this earth. You, before you leave, you've, you've got to teach us how to do that. There's something about the way that you pray, Jesus. There's something different about how you pray. There's something so magical. There's something so personal. There's something so different. Lord, you have to teach us how to pray, which is interesting because we believe here that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. So for the fully divine Jesus, Jesus who was the God-man, Jesus who was fully God, to also be a man of deep and intimate prayer should at least intrigue us, right? Why did Jesus pray? Like he was God, so what, what did he need to pray for? And that doesn't fit into the category that if prayer is just this place where we come and tell God what we need and that's the end of our prayer life, what is it about prayer that Jesus himself would be doing it all the time. Jesus is constantly getting away from his disciples and getting away from the crowds, and he's not going on like a vacation. He's going to pray. 
And so the disciples come to him after watching him pray over and over and over again, hearing him pray over and over again. They say, Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. If you've ever asked anyone to teach you how to do something, that says something about you in your relationship to that thing. Your relationship to the thing you want to learn, if you come to someone, what you would deem someone who, who does that thing well, and you would say, will you teach me how to do that? What that says about your relationship to the thing is that, and this is blunt, you don't know how to do it yet. And so the first theme that we're going to look at as we dive into a summer of prayer is we have to acknowledge the fact, and th- this is so okay, this, this is not a problem, this is an invitation we have to admit the fact that we don't know how to pray. We actually need to be taught how to do it. And would you dare to believe that Jesus actually welcomes that? That when the disciples come to him in Luke 11 and say, Lord, teach us how to pray, he doesn't go, really? Really? Like, you don't know how to pray yet? <laughs> like, that's not, he goes, I would, I would love to teach you how to pray. The first posture of prayer is the admission that we don't know how to do it. And actually, what the life of prayer would tell us, what a a life of learning how to pray would teach us, is that this admission would be a continual readmission from the believer. Lord, I don't know how to do this. Would you teach me how to do it? Lord, would you teach me how to pray? And that's not something we necessarily ever even graduate from. Guess what the sentence, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Will you teach me how to pray? Guess what that is? It's a prayer. Like, prayer may be no more complicated than the continual admission and acknowledgement. I don't know how to do this, Lord. Would you, sh- would you show me how to do this? That is a prayer. That's actually how one goes on the journey of praying. You're praying when you ask that to happen. But then we get lost in this spiritual spiral of thinking we should know how to do it, and other people seem to know how to do it better, and how come I don't have a prayer life like them? And anytime I try to pray, I get confused, and I get distracted, and when I pray for things and ask for things, they don't seem to happen, so I guess prayer doesn't work, and so why pray anyway? I guess, I guess prayer is just this spiritual thing that the Bible talks about, but I'm never going to learn how to do it. But what if, what if there was a freedom? What if there was a liberation? What if there was an invitation in starting our journey into prayer with the admission and the continual readmission? I don't know how to pray. Lord, will you teach me how to pray? Why is it so hard for us to admit that we don't know how to do something? Like, I love golfing. I am terrible at it. Ask John Austin over here. John, how bad am I at golf? Real bad. Okay. Um, but you know what happens when I play? I haven't played in a while because John doesn't ask me. But, um, I but you know what happens every time I golf? I get so angry at myself, like, I should be better at this. It's like, no, you shouldn't because you never do this. But I have, like, the pride of, like, I should have mastered this by now. And you've played once in the last two years. Like, why, would you, why, why is it so hard? Why can I not come to John, my rabbi, and say, John, teach me how to do this? golf rabbi. Why, 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 can't I, why can't I do that? Why is it so hard to admit, I don't know how to do this. Someone teach me how to do this. What is the pride that gets in the way of us being able to admit, I really don't know how to do this, and that's okay. Well, part of the reason why we have a hard time admitting that we don't know how to pray is that we all want to be self-made people, especially, especially in spiritual matters. See, we're all 
on pursuit of this thing. And in this town, we are drunk on our pursuit of this thing called finding our authentic self. Now, there's nothing wrong with your authentic self. I just don't think most people know what they mean when they say that. But in the quest for our authentic self, we have to decide on that journey. I can only do things with authenticity and authenticity is now the highest value. And so my highest value of finding authenticity, especially in matters of my spiritual life, means I can't actually have anyone teach me how to do something in my spiritual life. I have to be self-made in my spiritual life because if anyone teaches me how to do something in my spiritual life that I didn't choose, well, that just kind of reeks of institutionalism. That just kind of reeks of spiritual abuse because I didn't discover that for myself. Someone else taught me how to do that. That smells a little bit like I wouldn't have the ability to choose for myself what's best for me in my spiritual journey, so no thank you. See, that mindset in spiritual matters and especially in matters of prayer end up turning our prayer life into merely a quest to further my journey of self-expression and self-talk. That's what prayer ends up becoming. If I am to be self-made in my spiritual maturity and no one can teach me how to do it, if I am to be self-made in my prayer life, I will just end up in my own echo chamber of trying to talk to myself about myself and I'll call that prayer. So the first thing in our long summer journey of prayer, of sacred delight, of conversations with the Almighty is admitting that we don't know how to pray and saying, Lord, we we teach us how to pray. Show us how to pray. You, the God-man, you, the fully divine one, if you had a life of mysterious and intimate prayer, will you teach us how to do that? Show us how to do that. So other than the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament, the main place in the Bible that teaches us how to pray is the book of Psalms. It's an ancient Hebrew prayer and song book. It's been prayed for millennia by desert fathers and by monks. It's been been prayed for years by those that would go on the journey into mystical prayer to just learn how to pray through the Psalms. And the very first Psalm is actually a meditation about meditation. It's a song, it's a Psalm about one of the ways that we have to learn how to pray. So I'm going to read for us Psalm 1. Don't worry, it's just six verses. I wouldn't bore you with scripture. I wouldn't dare do that to you. But here is, here is Psalm 1, 1 through 6. And really, we're just going to focus on one line. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's kind of an intro to the book of Psalms, but there's like the key that unlocks the treasure chest in this whole thing is verse 2. Verse one starts off by saying, and it's easy to get kind of lost in it, blessed is the man who doesn't do this and doesn't do this and doesn't do this. And then it gets to verse two. But blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates. He meditates day and night. 
Blessed is the one, sturdy is the one, satisfied is the one, strengthened is the one, restful is the one, gentle is the one, peaceful is the one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. What's he saying? That word for meditate is a wonderful word. It's a wonderfully complex and rich Hebrew word. And when we hear the word meditate, we think of like silent yoga posture where we like leave all of our rational thinking behind and try to clear our mind. I'm not, I'm not judging that, maybe a little, but I'm saying that may be peaceful. That may be meditative for you. That's not what the biblical word means. When, the, when Psalm 1 says he meditates on it day and night, that Hebrew word is actually the same word used in lots of other places for animal sounds. Like the roar of a lion, the cooing of a dove. More particularly, it's used when talking about how a cow chews on its cud. Do you know how, a, how long it takes for a cow to chew on its cud? Hours and hours and hours. It's literally like saying there's, there's this little... There's something on the mouth, there's something on the tongue, there's something on the lips, day and night, and the, the, the uttering of it, the murmuring of it, the whispering of it to the self is meditating. Just, you're chewing on it like a piece of hard candy, like, and the flavors are, are, are with you kind of all day long. That, that's, that's how Psalm 1 just told you the reality of Christian meditation, and when it says in there that he meditates on the law of the Lord, that's not talking about the Ten Commandments. That is God's law. That's not what we're talking about. The law of the Lord is the Hebrew word Torah, which literally in that context meant the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, which was the Bible they had at the time of this writing. But the word Torah, the word the law of the Lord, ends up going on to mean in Scripture the whole Bible. That's what that word means. It's used in lots of other places in reference to, to all of the Scriptures. So literally what Psalm 1 just told you about Christian meditation, what Psalm 1 just told you about Christian prayer, is it involves a deep sense of chewing on, murmuring on, whispering to yourself on God's word. Or in other words, chewing on how God is speaking to you. Because that's what the Bible is. It's God's revelation of himself. It's God speaking to you. Do you realize chewing on, meditating on, murmuring on, chewing on the cud of all day, God's word to you is totally different than self-talk? Because that's what prayer ends up becoming. Like we said, prayer ends up becoming this way where I just need to go get everything off my chest. And there's certainly a place for that in prayer. I'm not, I'm not saying there's no, there's no room for that. What I'm saying is, is we think prayer is going on the journey of finding myself and how I'm doing, and I just need to verbally process something. And we end up just in our own echo chamber of just my own thoughts to myself about myself. And as my dear older brother, friend, Randy Drawn says, your own thoughts are like a bad neighborhood. You should never go there alone. <laughs> Do you know the kinds of things that you say to yourself about yourself? And do you know how hard it is to combat the things that you say to you when you are the only one in the room? <laughs> Do you know, as Paul Tripp says, that no one has a greater influence on you than you do because no one talks to you more than you do? We talk 
over and over and over again to ourselves and we start to believe the words we're saying to ourselves about ourselves and then we write narratives about ourselves and about everybody else and about the Lord and we start believing what we're saying to ourselves about our reality and it becomes so hard with the lies and the shame and the narratives and the way that our own stories cause us to write stories we can't detangle or tell the difference between our self-talk and actual reality because we're just talking to ourselves and we call that prayer. But Psalm 1 just told you that prayer, Christian meditation, is actually a two-way street. Christian meditation is not a monologue, but a dialogue. It's a conversation between two parties. And this may sound elementary, but Lord, teach us how to pray. If you're going to have a conversation with someone, guess what you have to do? You have to hear what the other person is saying. Husbands. (laughs) You have to listen to them. You have to actually hear from them or else it's just a monologue and it's not a conversation, it's not a relationship. Mother Teresa was asked before she died, what is it that you say to God in prayer? And she said, I don't say anything, I just listen. And she said, what does, and then they said, what does God say? And she said, he listens too. If we're gonna listen to the Lord We have to know what he says to us about himself. We have to hear his word to us. We have to hear him speak to us. And he has spoken to us through his word. Eugene Peterson, in his commentary on Psalm 1, says that in prayer, we have to meditate on what God says to us before we can know how to speak to him. I love this phrase. He says, there is a massive previousness of God's speech to our prayers. We have to speak to the God who speaks to us. So if you're not listening to what God has said to you about himself and about you and about the world and about reality before you speak to him in prayer, all that that ends up becoming is I'm praying to an unknown God. He's just a figment of my imagination because he's someone who I've made up. He's someone who I would like for him to be. But prayer is not just about self-expression to the God that I wish were the way that I wish that he was. Prayer is a relationship, which means a dialogue, which means you get to speak. And that means he listens to you. Do you know how good of a listener the Lord is? He's a fantastic listener. He invented it. But that also means in the dialogue, in the conversation, you have to listen to him too. Because you're actually talking to someone who's actually there, not who you want them to be, not some figment of your imagination. The analogy that came to me for the millennials in the room, I might be a millennial, I don't know, but the, the reality, the, the, the analogy that I came up with for this distinction is that this is a difference between like filming a selfie video versus being on a FaceTime call with someone else. Same camera. And you may end up saying the same things, but guess what happens instead of just filming yourself so you can post it versus actually talking to someone There is a dialogue, there's a conversation where you speak and you listen. Literally, praying may be no more complicated as redirecting our self-talk to a different destination and believing that on the other side of that destination, on the other side of where I'm directing all of my inner thoughts and my inner life, there is a person there. And he listens to me, he cares about me, but I'm also talking with someone real and he also wants to speak to me. 
And he has spoken to us through his word. And yes, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Romans chapter eight, the Holy Spirit groans for us and even puts words to our wordless groans. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us and scripture is the Holy Spirit's vocabulary. That's how he speaks to us. He uses uses the language of God to speak to us. Because we're talking with someone real And when we listen to him and what he's actually said to us about himself and about ourselves and about our world and about reality, we will know we're dealing with the real God. Conversationally, Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon. I got metaphors all over the spectrum today, guys, okay? There's more coming. There's this house of mirrors scene. You can YouTube it. It's fascinating. Bruce Lee's nemesis keeps appearing in the mirrors and he seems real, but he can't find where the actual enemy is. And then he hears this line over and over, destroy the enemies, destroy the images and you will break the enemy. Destroy the images and you will break the enemy. Destroy the images that are appearing in the mirrors and you keep thinking that's the real thing, but when you go to it, it's just a mirror, it's just a reflection, it's not the real thing. You need to go shatter all the the reflections, you need to go shatter all the mirrors and then there won't be any images of the enemy left, you'll actually be fighting the real thing. The same is true but opposite in prayer. When you destroy the images you have of God, you do that through his word, this is the real God. And then you'll actually be dealing with the real God, not an image of him that you've created or it's been fabricated for you. His word will show you who he really is. It will show you what he is really like. And without it, you will only lie to yourself about yourself and you will only lie to yourself about the Lord. And I promise you, the God of the Bible is a way better version of himself than whoever you've created him to be. Without his word telling us who he is, We will not only lie to ourselves about ourselves and about God, we will be deceived into thinking what we think God is like towards us, how he feels about us. We will be deceived into thinking what God's agenda for my life is. We will be deceived into thinking what reality is and what reality is all about. And so murmuring and meditating and chewing on God's word lets him speak to us as we speak to him, to literally pray through the Bible And so praying through the Psalms is literally hearing from God and then talking back to him. And guess what David, who wrote most of the Psalms, does all throughout. He gives a language to the cries of our heart, to the fear in our heart, to the loneliness in our heart, to the anxiety in our heart, to the overwhelmness that we feel. He gives us a language to literally like pray it back to the Lord. That's what the Psalms does for us. And so we pray through scripture We pray for the Lord to take his word deep into us. And so as we pray through it, here's what it starts to look like. We just read scripture. Lord, this is you speaking to me through your word. What encourages me about this passage? What confuses me about this passage? What moves me about this passage? What doesn't move me about this passage? That's what it means to pray through scripture, to speak back to the Lord who is speaking to you. That's how we come to prayer with the posture of saying, I don't know how to do this. Lord, would you teach me how to do this? If that posture would take us to his word, it would let him speak to us. It would show us who he really is and what he's actually said to us. Do you know the best way to learn how to do something? To do it. 
tea time this afternoon. John Austin, thank you. No, the best way to learn how to do something is to do it. I went to um, undergrad at what they call the Harvard of the South, University of Central Florida. Um, And we had a football player after I had graduated, we had a football player, Shaq Griffin, Shaquille Griffin. Anybody remember him? If you're an Auburn fan, you remember him because we beat the brakes off that in the Peach Bowl. Sorry. But um, we, we, we had this football player, and he was amazing. He was an all-star linebacker, got drafted in the NFL. His twin brother was on the team too. And they were amazing. But 60 Minutes did a piece on Shaquille Griffin once he was in the NFL. And he had one hand. He had one hand, and he was a stellar football player. And so the interviewer was asking his parents, like, how did you get a one-handed boy into football. Um, you know, his brother was playing. His brother's really good. He wanted to be like his brother. His twin brother was really good. And so they asked the dad, this is comical, but it's, it's, it's great. Uh, how did you teach a boy with one hand how to catch a football? And the dad said, the football hits you in the face enough times, you'll figure out how to catch it. <laughs> it's true. Worked. He's in the NFL. That is what's on your seats. The bookmark. The, the praying through the Psalms this summer. It's a prayer guide to pray through the Psalms this summer. We took this thing uh, called praying through the Psalms in 30 days from a guy named Trevin Wax, and we gave you more time than 30 days, don't worry. This, this is 75 days, the life of our series, praying through the Psalms every day. And here's what it looks like. Psalm 1, you pray in the morning. At noon, you pray the Lord's Prayer, midday. And then in the evening, you pray Psalm 2. And they're, they're paired up differently. But here, here's, how, here's what this is meant to do. Just go learn how to catch a football. And this football is going to hit you in the face enough times you'll figure out how to catch it. And th- this is the goal of doing this this summer. You can throw, we got a QR code up here. Literally, you can get a text message every day from us that tells you what the Psalms of the day are if you want to sign up for it. We throw this QR code up there. Scan that. I will give you a minute. You'll also be asked to make a $10 donation to my child fund. But that's a... <laughs> And here's what I know is going to happen as you scan that and as you use this bookmark to pray through the Psalms all summer. You're going to go, whoa, 75 days in a row of praying. There's no way I do that every day. And I would go, you're right. No one in here is going to bat 100 on this. No one. No one. Bat 1,000. That's better than batting 100. No one in here is going to bat 1,000 on this. No one's going to get 100 like Charlie Ellis. Uh, we're going to bat 1,000. You're going you're gonna to have days, you're going to have weeks where you don't do this. And I would go, great. It's okay. Lord, teach me how to pray. Will you teach me how to pray with this? This PDF is on our website. You have this bookmark. You can get a text message every day. Tells you the Psalms to pray through that day, pray through that morning, pray the Lord's Prayer at midday. And I'm gonna do it with you. We're, our whole staff, I'm asking all of our elders, we're all doing this. It's not like at the end of August, then you'll get, or middle of August, you will have arrived at my level of prayer. That's not what this is. Lord, will you teach us how to pray? And here's how we pray. Here's how we converse with you to pray through the Psalms. We also have some amazing, like, human interactions of prayer that we always offer, but we're kind of ramping some of those up in the summer. One is, is that Ralston Hartness, who's also teaching our missional disciple class that we had an announcement about, he normally does the last Wednesday of the month. He does an in-person prayer gathering at the church. Starting next week, he's going to be doing that in-person prayer gathering Wednesday at 6, and he's going to do it every week for the summer. 
Wednesdays at six, you can come to the building and pray with people. There will be people praying here every Wednesday at six o'clock. Courtney and Connell Anderson, who are two of our small group leaders, they're precious. They lead a morning prayer time on Zoom. They will pray through a Psalm or pray through a section of scripture, pray with and for each other. They're gonna do that starting in June. They're gonna do that every Wednesday morning. Every Wednesday of the summer at 7 a.m., they're gonna pray together. So you can get that Zoom link. We might have a slide for that too, but that's on our website. And then Jenny Miller, Jenny's in the house. Jenny has led our prayer ministry since before I was here for like over a decade. She gathers every Sunday her prayer team to pray upstairs in the prayer room we now kind of have across from the coffee room. And every Sunday at the nine o'clock, they gather to pray and they would love to have you come and be prayed with and for up there. On communion Sundays, they pray at nine and 11. Every Sunday, they're here. Those are opportunities. And that's not meant to, like you don't have to come to all those things. That's just meant to say, if, if you want to go on the journey of praying this summer and Lord, will you teach us how to do this? There will be ample opportunity to get hit in the face with that football. Okay. You, you will be able to, to join us, to learn with us how we're going to do that. We're going to spend a summer asking the Lord to teach us how to pray, teach us how to listen, teach us how to commune with you, teach us how to communicate with you. And you may be sitting here uh, thinking, I don't know if I know how to hear the Lord. I don't know if I know how to listen to him. I don't even know what it would look like to try to clear the noise in my head to get solitude enough to begin to learn how to pray and to listen to him. Which is why it's so glorious that the loudest that God has ever spoken has been through Jesus. In fact, in the book of John, in the New Testament, the opening line of the book of John says that Jesus is the word from God. Literally, Jesus is God's word to us. Jesus is God speaking to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God speaking to you. And let me tell you what the word did. And because the word was a person, what he did was God speaking to the world. Not only did Jesus come to live among us, he came to love among us. He came to live the life we should have lived, not so that he could rub that perfect life in our face and say, well, I learned how to pray while I was here, so you should too. He didn't do any of that. He lived a perfect life. He loved a perfect life so that he could use his perfect life and use himself to be a perfect sacrifice. And that perfect sacrifice did something. Jesus didn't just live the life we were supposed to live. He died the death we were supposed to die. The word of God speaking to you literally ended with him shouting to you while he hung naked on crossbeams. That's God speaking to you. This is who I am and this is what I'm like. And his death wasn't arbitrary. Like it, it, it did something. It mattered. It released a power in the world. It shifted something. It's not merely an example of what sacrificial love should look like. It is that. But his death unleashed into the world a power and a redemption that can save you, heal you, mend you, and mend the world. That is God speaking to you. The death of the word of God brought you in and canceled your debt. The death of the word of God adopted you into the family and kingdom of God. And now because of his death, you don't ever have to be afraid of your own. That is what God wants to say to you. That's how he views you. That's how he sees you. That's what you were worth to him. And that is what he is saying to you. So if you don't know what else the Lord might be saying to you, listen to that. His word hung on a cross for you. So yes, 
It's true. It's true. We don't know how to pray. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? But here, here's, here's, here's what makes this even better. Because the word has spoken, because the word has shouted, hanging from a crossbeam, here's what our not knowing how to pray doesn't mean for us. His death covers our inadequacy in prayer. And so our weakness in prayer doesn't deter him from us. When we come and we say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? He doesn't hold that against us. So would you come to hear from him? Would you come to commune with him? Would you come and dare to hear what he might say to you through his word and through his spirit? Lord, we don't know how to pray. Teach us to pray. Now let's pray. Jesus, it's hard for us to admit that we don't know how to do something. But actually you invite us into believing that's okay. And actually a life of prayer looks like a life of continuing to say that, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Would you teach us how to do this? And so as we study your word this summer, would you make us a people of prayer? Not even with some idea of what that means we would become in August, but just that we would have a summer of learning how to commune with you, of learning how to hear from you, learning how to share our heart with you, learning how to pray with you, Jesus. So Lord, teach us how to pray. Thankful for your word to us and your son, Jesus, who is the word to us, who covers a multitude of sins and who speaks a greater word than the ones we know. Guide us now in our summer of prayer, we pray, Jesus, in your name, amen.